This is an ABC podcast. I look forward to leading a government that makes Australians proud. This election didn't just change a government, it was a green slide. Liberal seat, two term incumbents, independents. We need to go back to our values, our principles, look closely at Hello, and welcome to the party room. I'm Patricia Carvellis, the host of Radio National Breakfast. And I'd like to acknowledge the land where we're meeting today, the, the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. And I'm Frank Kelly, and I used to be the host of RM Breakfast. That's like ancient history, which is why I look 20 years younger now. And I'm thrilled to be joining you here on Gadigal Land and here at Fair Day. What a fabulous, fun day it always is. And it just gets... I haven't, I've been coming to Fair Day forever, but I haven't been for a while, and it's gotten monstrous um, in, in my years of absence. So it's absolutely terrific to be here and a perfect way to kick off the Mardi Gras festivities and also World Pride because we're now part of something, a, a global sensation um, over the next few weeks. And if you haven't noticed, there's rainbows. Have you noticed there's rainbows all over our city? She's from Melbourne, so... I am from Melbourne and we just had our Pride Festival midsummer. Shout out to Melbourne, um, but which was an excellent festival, but this is just nothing like it. I swear, last night I was, like, partying with some women in Atlanta. Um, I'm exaggerating. My friend Daniel partied with the women in Atlanta. Um, I went to bed. But, look, it's incredible uh, being here for World Pride, and I just want to say, I mean, it's going to be quite a significant event. It's worth noting that this is the first Mardi Gras in history where a Prime Minister of the country will be marching in the Mardi Gras. Now, as you know, we're not big fans of political clapping ourselves, but it is historically significant, of course. Um, Malcolm Turnbull did um, go to the Mardi Gras, and that was actually a really big step, I think, for uh, a coalition prime minister, but now we'll have... Albanese. Now, Anthony, Anthony Albanese is um, he's a bit of a fixture at Mardi Gras. He's marched every year with the Labor float. But I think it's a real, it is a really significant moment to have the Prime Minister of your country there leading it. Uh, it's the biggest gay pride march in the world. And to be part of Sydney World Pride, I think, is significant. And um, Anthony Albanese has said that he wants it to be a, a day of celebration, not a day of tolerance. And I, I think that's really important, PK, because... Mardi Gras started more as a, as a protest march. There's, there's still plenty to protest at. There's plenty of law reform and social reform um, to demand for our queer community before we're just not equal but also safe and welcomed. And this World Pride will include things like a major... There's a, if you don't know, there's a major three-day human rights conference, for instance, with queer and, and diversity representatives from governments and civil society from around the world. And that's, that's going to be huge and it's very important. But I think Anthony Albanese is right. We also need to celebrate who we are, not just what we've won, but who we are and the diversity and the fabulousness of our community as well. And that's what we're doing here today. We are the party room. And we're here at the party. Yeah. Now, I have a theory that the only reason they invite us here is because the word party is in the title <laughs> of the podcast. Oh, you mean they don't listen? No. That's my theory, and I'm really glad we front-loaded the podcast so that we could get invited to this event. Look, Fran and I are both gay, and that's obviously very exciting for us on a personal level. But also, oh, I'm used to it now. Also for you... <laughs> Um, as a, a, on a non-personal level, um, hopefully. Who knows, the day is young. But um, 
but, you know, and I think queer visibility is really important. And so the ABC's partnered with World Pride very deliberately, despite some critics on the side um, saying that it's not the appropriate thing to do. We're a big community and we deserve to be recognised. And I think we don't shy away from that. That's a really important part of this. Now, now, last year, I've got to call you on this, Fran. I came here to do a party room podcast. Lovely Jeremy Fernandez. How adorable is Jeremy Fernandez? Very. Co-hosted with me because Fran dumped me for some secret squirrel overseas jaunt. And it I was, was Italy. What could sweating I say? in the stage. It was so hot. I thought I was at a, like, gay dance party, but really I was talking about politics again, which is the way I do gay dance parties. Um, and... Fran, you're back. I'm back. It's I still love hot. Jeremy, but I'm glad you're here. I'm glad I'm here too. Uh, we're really glad you're all here. And a little later in this um, proceedings, we're going to have some fabulous volunteers roaming around with microphones. So you can ask us whatever you want. If there's any facts you need to know, you want to know how many Ks PK runs a day or anything, feel free to ask. That's going to happen a little later. Yeah, we are going to do all of that. In fact, half of this podcast live is going to be questions from you about political things or anything you like, because I, I don't have anything you can't ask. Now, obviously, politics got very serious this year. We've got two big issues. We've got interest rates and cost of living, and then we have the voice to parliament debate, the referendum, which will be huge for our country, and a big moment, I think, where people can make a decision about, you know, the way we want to proceed as a country. So, I'm excited to say that before we get to the question part of this podcast, we will begin with a very exciting panel. Are you ready? Look, I know I'm not Ian Thorpe, but I'm giving it a red-hot go, okay? Um, Who better to join us to talk about the voice to parliament, constitutional change, referendum, the history, what it's all about, why you should care about this debate, then the Minister for Indigenous Australians and um, uh, Andrew Bragg from the Liberal side of politics who has been so prominent in the yes side. Should we welcome them to our party? Let's welcome Linda Burney and Andrew Bragg. I know, thank both you. of you. Thank you for being here. It was a bit of a struggle to get here, I know. But so we really appreciate it. Um, now, it's very exciting to have both of these people here, obviously for many reasons, but Fran and I love a bit of a joint grilling, don't we, Fran? We do. Um, so welcome to the party room. And Linda, I do want to start with you because you're really leading uh, this for the government. But I want to zoom out, right? This voice to parliament referendum, it will take place later this year. Your government has guaranteed it will happen regardless of anything else, any other shenanigans. I want you to tell me, what's your personal pitch? Why is this so important for you? Uh, Hi, everyone. How are you? Uh, My personal pitch is that I was 10 years old in 1967, the last time there was a question to the Australian people about Aboriginal people and the Constitution. I was 10 years old. And this referendum is about who we are as a nation. It really and truly is. It will do two things. It will make sure, protected by the Constitution, there will be a voice not to the government, but a voice to the parliament. 
This started decades ago, everyone. It's not something that's just arrived in the last little while. 1938 this started, and I've been talking about it for 15 years. Finally, we will do two things. We will tell the truth of something that we all share. 65,000 years of history and story and culture, and that belongs to all of us. And secondly, it'll make sure blackfellas have a say in, in issues, policies and legislation about us. We need structural change and that's what you, the Australian people, will deliver sometime between October and December this year. Andrew Bragg, you're a, you're a Liberal senator. I think it's worth saying straight off the bat you are a strong supporter of The Voice within your party room and more broadly. In fact, you've gone to great lengths to try and push the Yes case. You've even written a, pa a paper called Five Reasons the Voice is Right, which you've disseminated widely, but including to members of your party room. Why was it important to you that you do that, make that case, and particularly try and get your members on board? Well, I mean, as you know, Fran, the, uh, it's been very hard to win referendums in Australia. And what we've tried to do uh, with this pamphlet has been to set out that unless there is a broad base of support for this change, uh, it won't be successful. And, and I recognise that there are uh, a large number of Liberal and National Party voters that are necessary to win this referendum. And I think it's very important that we look to maximise bipartisanship in this year uh, because it would be a disaster for the country if this was defeated. Um, it would be a disaster for Indigenous people but it would be a disaster for the fabric of our nation and so I'm deeply committed to working across party lines and with anyone to ensure that we can get a, a yes vote. Um, obviously there are different concerns different people have. There are people in my party that are very concerned about different legal issues and it's important that those issues can be properly assessed and addressed um, because unless they are looked at carefully I feel that we will lose a large chunk of people that we should have as yes supporters. And any sign that Peter Dutton has read your pamphlet yet or been convinced by it? Well the internal mailing system at Parliament House is very efficient. <laughs> Do you remember when I asked you if you're hand-delivering it? Yeah, well, I mean, they're and very... you explained the concept of email to me. Well, they're, they're, actually, they're, they're, actually, they're actually some of the most courteous people um, in the building. I mean, most people are pretty courteous, aren't they, Linda? But the, the male people uh, are really extraordinary public servants. So he's got it? Yeah, he's got it. And I can, I, and I can, uh, I can tell you that it's already won at least one more colleague... Oh, really? Over. Yeah, I won't reveal the, uh, the but source. But someone has said, I've rethought about it to you. Yes. That's interesting. That's interesting. So, Linda, I want to bring you back in because Peter Dutton hasn't yet obviously declared. So it's a funny one, can I just say, in constructing this panel, we don't have a, a view from the Liberal Party. We clearly do from the Labor Party. But Andrew Bragg has one view and some of his colleagues don't. So we're just trying to, as much as we can, reflect that diversity, right? But Andrew, you know, is also a Sydney sider, also big fan of the gay community too, so we did think about that, didn't we, Andrew Bragg? But Linda, getting back to you, some of the questions Peter Dutton asks 
uh, are pretty key to him. He says that the government hasn't been willing to answer them. How much more clarity will he get to try and get him on board? Uh, There will be a lot more clarity as the debate goes forward. I was at Petersham Park yesterday. It was so hot. (laughs) Um, But there were thousands of people there and the Prime Minister did say that the referendum will be between October and December this year. Um, I um, also just want to let you all know that there is going to be a civics education campaign starting in about two months' time, three months' time, and that will provide information to the whole Australian community about what a referendum is, what the Constitution is, and what this referendum is about. I have three groups advising me, and I am not going to get ahead of those three groups. Many of the issues that uh, journalists are clambering for uh, will be answered in good time. I can assure you that when you go into that polling booth on your own with your moral compass on, you will know what you're voting for. But at the end of the day, it's about giving people a say and it's about telling the truth in our constitution. Just on that though, Linda, and I noticed at Petersham Park yesterday, I think you urged people to be patient and you are working for the, uh, waiting for the results of that group. Peter Dutton, the opposition leader, and Andrew, I'll get your view on this too, met with the, one of the referendum working groups. Afterwards, he came out publicly and he said, and I quote, that the voice isn't going to get up, quote, because the Prime Minister's had a hard, half, half-hearted effort in relation to not explaining detail and not being across the detail. The, I mean, are you... You say Australians will have all the information, but are you starting to get a bit nervous that people are making their mind up now, Linda, and that referendums are so devilishly hard in this country that you've made this is a misstep, perhaps? I am not at all nervous because the momentum is enormous behind this campaign. This is the second day of a week of action and we're here talking to you. Standing room only. Very good. <laughs> very good. It's because there's very, two very famous people on the end. Yeah, that's why, Linda. <laughs> yeah. um, no, I'm not getting nervous because I know that we are going forward. Those people that are against this are going backward. And just imagine how you will feel on the Sunday after the referendum... You'll be proud because we have changed this country forever. And the support in the business community, sporting groups, faith groups, uh, community groups is just enormous. So um, I am not nervous. I don't think we have misstepped at all because it is Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people that are informing the way we proceed as a government. I just want to bring bring back in Senator Andrew Bragg. Peter Dutton did walk out of that second meeting that he went to where he declared, as Fran alluded to, that that he believed it was on track to fail. Do you think it's on track to fail? I think a lot of the polling is very optimistic. I think that there are some very important lessons that can be taken from the most recent public vote, which is on marriage, and I was involved with that. 
Um, it's very important from this point forward that we focus on trying to win the people that aren't convinced. I think a lot of the mistakes campaigns make is that they try and reconvince people who are already convinced. And it's very clear that there is a large group of people in the community who are not convinced. I think there are a lot of swingers out there on this issue, and that's what we need to, to focus on. Um, personally, I do think that more information will help. I tried to explain it to my barber the other day. I'm not sure how successful that was. So um, I do think more information... Good haircut, though. Well... <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking it was look, looking rather sharp. <laughs> so I think that is important, that we focus on who, who is not convinced... Yeah, that's, that's a key bit, actually. Linda, sorry, Fran, but just don't mean to cut across you. We do that in the podcast. You know that. But how are you going to convince the people who aren't convinced? There, are, there is a lot of softness in the yes vote. Because they're not necessarily the people rocking up at Petersham Park in the heat. Uh, they are probably not the people in the heat at Petersham Park. And they're probably not the people in front of us here today. Uh, but we will just slowly but steadily convince people that this is the right and the decent and, more importantly, the practical thing to do. Just think about this. Two examples. You all know that the Northern Territory intervention wasn't necessarily great for everybody. If there'd been a voice would have gone ahead. And we've just passed 10 days domestic violence leave in the parliament. A voice would provide to that kind of legislation an Aboriginal perspective. That's a very recent example. And finally, uh, there is a long time between now and when the referendum is going to happen. There'll be a civics education campaign a million conversations started this week and a very strong yes campaign. Yes, there will be a no campaign, but think about this. How are we going to look in the eyes of the world if we say no to this? It would be shameful for all of us, and I think that's important. Andrew Bragg. You said you thought the polling was very positive, but uh, unless I'm wrong here, the, po- the, the more recent published polls don't have us at two-thirds of the... Don't we need two-thirds of the country and, and a majority of the country? Majority of states, majority of Okay, Double so we, majority. So we're just there. Um, but do you think it will succeed if the opposition leader doesn't get behind it and if the, if the Liberal Party doesn't get behind it. If the, if, if, if the Liberal Party or the Liberal leader is in fact leading a case against it, do you think it can succeed? You've made the... In your pamphlet, you say there's a very Liberal case for supporting yeah. the voice. Well, thanks for that easy question. Um, <laughs> it's very kind. We waited ten minutes. It's very, very, very charitable. Um, I, I, mean, I try and look to history as much as I can for the answers. I think if you look at the referendum on the Republic... We had a, a Liberals for Yes, a Liberals for No campaign. Obviously, the Prime Minister at the time, John Howard, was a big no voter. Um, that referendum was defeated. Then if you look at the, the marriage survey, where we had a very high turnout, we had Liberals for Yes, Liberals for No campaigns. Uh, we had a Prime Minister who was in favour of marriage equality. Uh, but that one succeeded. It's, it's very hard to say. I mean, we're in opposition at the moment. At the last election, we had 36% of the primary vote. 
So a large group of Australians uh, still voting for the coalition, even when we had our fair share of problems last time. Um, so I, I do think that it would be hugely helpful to have a strong contingent from our side in support. And your leader? Of course that would help, but that's a judgment for him to make. And obviously he has particular concerns. Uh, I think the person he's appointed to be in the shadow job is a very good person and has done a lot of work with Linda uh, and with Pat Dodson over the long term, who's Julian Lisa. Uh, and so I would like to see uh, both of them be yes voters, but they've got to satisfy their own uh, questions. So I want to ask to both of you, starting with you, Linda, what are the lessons from the marriage, marriage equality campaign? Now, just to be clear, you know, it wasn't even a plebiscite, as we know. It was a postal survey. Uh, it could have been done with legislation very quickly. There's a lot of pain in this community, as you know, about that process. So it is different, but it is the last national vote, as we say, on an issue. So, Linda, what are the lessons, also in terms of the tone of this debate and what we can learn to be our best selves? Um, well, I want to just share with you, on the engagement group, there are two uh, men, Damien Boyson from Black Rainbow and Saint Shane Sturgis from Black BLAQ. So I am making sure that this is inclusive. One of the principles of The Voice uh, is around a whole range of things, including gender equity, young people, Torres Strait Islander, but inclusivity. And I was very determined that that word be in the principles of The Voice. Uh, we have had Equality Australia come to talk to us twice, particularly about young Indigenous people and what they might experience uh, throughout the campaign. Uh, we're working closely with 13 Yarn, which is a First Nations counselling service, uh, to get them ready for the sorts of things that, that might emerge. But the big thing I want to underline is that the Constitution uh, is about a referendum and you can't change the Constitution without a referendum. The Marriage Equality Survey was because people like Andrew and... Well, not Andrew and I, but some of our colleagues were not up where they should have been in terms of the Australian people and the sentiment. It was a give us a kick in the bum, if you ask me. Uh, but that's what, that's what actually happened. Uh, and, I, and finally, um, finally, Patricia, uh, I am not going to be negative about this. This is about capturing the imagination of the Australian people, and it will happen. Andrew, before I come to you, because I want to ask you if you've learnt lessons from that plebiscite, but just on that point of not being negative, Linda, um, you know, there are many who invite you to be, and there is many within the progressive side of politics who are asking the question, why the voice? It's not enough. Why, you know, and, and Senator... Um, um, Lydia, Lydia Thorpe, Thorpe has suggested that we need treaty first and then Macarada and just being an advisory body is not enough and that, that is getting some kind of groundswell and some on the progressive side of politics. What is your answer to that? Uh, my answer is fairly simple. We are doing what over 1,200 
First Nations people told us to do. The Uluru Statement was unanimously supported at Uluru at the Constitutional Convention in 2017. It asked for voice, treaty and truth. Uh, in the this is a bit of groundbreaking thing, but in the next couple of weeks, uh, we will be making announcements about a Makarata Commission and how we're going to advance treaty and truth. We are staying true to what we've been asked to do, and that's the simple answer. And look at that. We even got a scoop in the party room podcast. Perfect. Can't wait till I speak to you tomorrow, hopefully, on RM <laughs> Breakfast to explore that concept. Andrew, just before we leave this, and just to get your response as someone who did lead the, the yes vote on the plebiscite, uh, same-sex marriage plebiscite, um, within the Liberal Party. What are the, is there a lesson there that you learnt from that process that you think would be a key to getting a yes vote up? Well, I think, to be very frank, and I didn't do this work, it was done by Tom Snow and others at Equality. I mean, there were obviously a range of different perspectives on that campaign and what should happen and what exactly the change should be and how it should be campaigned for. And I think some of the extreme elements were uh, resisted and I think in this case there are, there are things that could be said here that could really scare people. And I think uh, we need to be very careful about how we manage people with extreme views, to be frank. Um, I think it's actually a very easy thing to argue for. And when you go out into Western New South Wales, which is my state, and you talk to people in Indigenous communities, I mean, they want to have better services from government. They want to have a better arrangement for their kids. Uh, it might be an Aboriginal medical service. It might be uh, a different bus timetable. That would be the local component. And in Canberra, uh, we need to get better advice on how to make special laws as we do most weeks for Indigenous people. So I think it's a very uncomplicated um, concept. I think it's a very easy concept to argue for. I think the introduction of other things right now potentially could be uh, might might make it harder. So I hope it can be, you know, nice and clean. And I think uh, on that basis, it can be won. Well, I want to thank both of our guests for coming and having a chat with us on the stage. Um, and being pretty honest in your answers too to both of you about how this is proceeding. Please say a very big... Um, I need more clapping now. To Linda Burney and Andrew Bragg, you are free to leave the stage. You have got a very bu- busy few months ahead of them. Thank you. Thanks very much, Linda. Take care. Thanks, Andrew. See you, Linda. You. Can we please play the question time theme? We'll move to questions without notice. We'll give the call to the Leader of the Opposition. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. My question is to the Prime Minister. It's just like being inside the podcast. It is. But better, because there are other people here. Yeah, much better. Um, it's time for our question time, which is much better than the banal question time going on in Canberra at the moment. They need to work on that. Um, and this involves you. We don't really have much more to say, so if you could put your hand up and trigger a response, that would be great. There is one already. Look, that is somebody who needs a microphone. And then please and put be your insp- hand up in advance. Please so that be Lara's inspired not by this question like... to ask whatever question you like. Go, Lara. Within reason. Within reason. Be polite. 
Oh my god, I'm nervous now. Oh. <laughs> no, I was just. I'm all like I'm an immigrant, and um, I just wonder, like the voice to parliament, like you know, I've worked with a lot of um, First Nations people, and um, you know, is it going to address like the housing, the poverty, the inheritance, the you know, like. Is it going to address those things, or is it just going to be a voice? You're, you're wondering, is it just symbolic and not actually going to make the practical change? And that's, um, well, we've said goodbye to Linda, but I, I think from my observation, I've been covering politics for a long time. In that time, we've had the apology that was, you know, Indigenous Australians have told us that's symbolic, but it was meaningful for them. But we've also had the closing the gap indicators. And what is happening is we're not closing the gap. We have made, we've spent a lot of effort. There's been a lot of focus on, you know, we, we name the priorities of where to close the gap. On some, there has been some progress. On some, we've gone backwards. It's not good enough. Something we're doing is not enough. The voice is a, an element of um, putting that into practice and, and saying we have the first people of this country and they need to be heard. And their special needs, which are different to ours. I mean, this government just gave over $400 million to a number of projects um, for Indigenous Australians last week. One of those was clean water. I mean, for heaven's sake, you know, we need to be aware of the fact that there are people in this country who are living without clean water. We have spent millions over the years to make housing and, and water supplies and access to... Um, welfare services and support services and childcare equal and it's not working. So the voice is what the Indigenous Australians, the First Australians have got together and told us, well, you are going to make better decisions, we are going to get better results, we're going to make more progress in closing the gap if our voice is heard in the development of their policies. I think that's the logic of it and you know, what we are doing is not working, so let's try something else. Yeah, and I think by enshrining it in the Constitution, you can't get rid of it. If it's in your constitution, it is in incredibly powerful in its advice because it's been, you know, embedded by the people. And so will it change everything overnight? I'd want to just say we shouldn't put such high expectations that, oh, now it's in your hands. Fix your problems, First yeah. Nations people. That's a good point. After intergenerational carnage in this country. No, it won't fix everything. But it will be a powerful voice, I think, to listen to. And so I think that's an important element. I don't think... A bit of expectation management. I feel like, again, we put a lot of pressure on First Nations people. There was a question over here. Um, my question is, whose voice? Um, I'd like to know how um, the representatives of the voice will be democratically and geographically representative. Will this be just the loudest voice gets to be on the voice and represent all Aboriginal people? Or is it going to be truly democratic and represent the very many different interests of mm. people across the whole of this huge country? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, the parliament will design the voice. The parliament under the, the change is entirely responsible for the way that it's constructed. And the way that uh, the Indigenous groups that are behind this have asked us to proceed, and this is obviously contentious because Peter Dutton doesn't think this is the right approach, but the way they want us to proceed is to enshrine it and then to have a long process of consultation till they get it right. 
And that will involve their communities being quite clear about their nations across the country and the way they want to elect or appoint in some cases where there are perhaps uh, tribal leaders, where it's not a sort of clear uh, democratic model. There's all sorts of models in this. There's a lot of Aboriginal nations in this country. This is a really diverse community. And then the parliament will be, will be designing it. Now, that's our structure, parliamentary sovereignty. That's actually when everyone can get involved you know, to lobby their politicians if they think, oh, there's too many Queenslanders on this, or, you know, I reckon that WA's not getting their fair share. All of that will happen. Um, and I think, ultimately, it's up to uh, First Nations people to design their own voice. Yeah, I, and I think, I think that's... I mean, there are some guardrails that it will be designed in, it, by, on the advice of the Indigenous Australians themselves. They will be uh, representative bodies. They will represent... So it's not just going to be, you know someone who happens to be a professor of something and is, you know, very erudite and used to being part of committees. It won't... It's not going to be that. That's not the intention. There are already some guardrails down, which you can read. Um, it's not going to have a, a, a veto. Um, and I think that the important thing about it, as PK said, is that it will be designed primarily by Indigenous Australians across the country first, giving through those processes that come then to the Parliament, the Senate committees and inquiries... So there's a lot of work to be done, but there are some guardrails that you can access and read. And it might change. If it's in the Constitution, Indigenous Australia will look really different in 100 years. I mean, our communities change so much. We're doing this at Fair Day, Mardi Gras. It's changed so much. Like, is every young person queer now? I'm loving it. Not when I came out. But what won't change is that there will be a voice enshrined in the Parliament. So that won't change, and that's why it's but important. they can change its formation. Yeah, they, they can, can say, we need more representation from here. The parliament will be able to alter it. And I think that's an important element that I feel like is sometimes missed. We have another question over here. Oh, over here. No, it's whoever. <laughs> whoever wants to ask Hello. a question. Hi. I absolutely love the show. Listen to it all the time. Good on you. Excellent. Um, we question... love you too. Thanks. <laughs> question around um, the weight that the media gives to questions um, for more detail from the opposition and other elements in the community. Um, given the fact the Liberal I'm from the Northern Beaches in Sydney, it's gone teal, and before that, Mardi Gras, you know, all the different things, um, marriage equality, it went yes. Do the media need to give less weight to those questions from the Liberal Party, given the fact that they've lost complete representation in Liberal Party heartlands and pretty much all major cities across the country. So they're an outer suburban, more regional party. Their weight in the media, I feel, is a little larger than it maybe should be. So those questions might need to be a little less. I think the questions that they ask, I, I think, uh, are legitimate and uh, should be traversed in the media. And I don't think it's... I don't think that should worry anyone. I think democracy should be robust and we should ask lots of questions and they absolutely have a right to have a platform. In terms of balance, they still are the opposition. They still have a lot of seats in the lower house. So they still, I do think, are a significant political force in the country. Well, of course, they're the alternative government. And, and as you say, they have a lot of representation, um, just not in some parts of inner suburban Melbourne or Sydney and different places, Canberra and, and made cap inner capitals generally. Um, but But they represent a lot of Australians. I think, the, I think the answer to your concern about that, that they lost territory, is to make sure that we, the media, 
don't just stick in our old patterns of asking the, Labor, the government and the opposition, but there are many more... Re we have a different-looking parliament at the moment. We have the Teals. The Greens have more representation. That we go further afield in seeking comment um, and input from all, all those representatives. I think that's important, and that might answer a concern yeah. of yours. And I think we've been doing that. But, you know, Peter Dutton's entitled to ask his questions. People are also entitled to ask, is he asking them in good faith? Is he really considering saying yes? He looks like he's leaning no. I think that is a fair political estimation to be making right now until he says something different. But right now, he's still considering it. As I said it before, there is no Liberal Party position. It was hard to construct this panel because it wasn't like this person thinks this. There's no... It depends which Liberal you ask. <laughs> they and all also, have it's views. not up to governments or opposition to say how we all vote in the referendum. It's up to us. It's only you. Who decides how you vote in the referendum? And we've only got 10 minutes or so left. I can just... Apparently we don't. We're being booted off the stage. Oh, okay. Although I know you don't want us we've to leave. We've got two minutes left I'm then, getting... but we do, you don't have to ask about the voice One if you have another question, sort of question. And then we will bid you farewell. Hello. Oh, okay. Sorry about that. Hello. Um, uh, forgive me if I've misidentified this person, but I think recently Senator Antic in uh, estimates used the word groomers in relation to the LGBTQIA plus communities. We're seeing political figures in this country on social media point out uh, drag queen story time and just leave the time and location hanging out there in social media. Um, it almost seems like there's this rise of a, you know, the, the gay agenda, quote unquote, that probably occurred a lot in the 70s and 80s. It seems to be quite prominent now. Are we kind of going backwards in terms of our... Um, our position, uh, well, our our dignity politically, or is this sort of a, a, a noisy minority? I think it's a noisy minority, and I don't know if we're going backwards. I don't think we're going backwards. I think there are some people who have a hostility, particularly around trans and gender diverse issues, and I think that's the big issue. We didn't make it the focus of the party room today, but I think that is where the political battle is being um, played out, and I, I am of the strong view that we need to um, have really mature debates based on facts about these things and not amplify random opinions which are not based on facts. Um, obviously, reading cute books on the ABC in cool wigs to kids is not grooming children. Grooming children is illegal, awful, and people should be in jail for doing that. So the political equivalence is outrageous, but it is marginal. That's my view. It's, oh, not, no. it's not the mainstream view it, of the political parties. It's not the mainstream, and progress has been made. I mean, look at the numbers of people here, and um, look at the rainbows around every corporate headquarters of Australia at the moment. My, my petrol station is almost unrecognisable as so many rainbows plus. Oh, um, what's happened to France petrol station? <laughs> you should check it out. Usually seriously. you're looking at the price of petrol, but not now. But what I think is with progress, there's always a rearguard action and there's always, and you've got to watch your back. I mean, look at America at the moment since the winding back of abortion rights in America and look at some of the things that are being said and done and made law in some of the states there. So there are always people who will you know, not want progress to be made, who will fight hard for the world as they know it, as they feel secure in it, and um, it fits their sense of values. And I just think, you know, we've got to be on the watch and on the march. I like to end most of my public speeches these days with saying, be kind to each other. 
We need to go now. They've been winding us up for ages. I haven't seen a thing. <laughs> I noticed. You can tell she doesn't do daily stuff like every I'm morning I'm not watching anymore. that clock Because she's like, whoa, living my best life. And I'm like having an anxiety attack. Thank you so much. Thank this you so much for coming. Live. Have a great day. Now, I just want to add, this is a podcast. Share it with your friends. Tell everyone about it. We really want everyone to know about us. I'm Patricia. I'm Frank Kelly. Thanks See for you coming. See ya. Oh, PK. See ya, PK. See you, friend. <laughs> You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio, and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.